Today we're going to talk about yet another idol, and it's called money. Now, money's one of those, inevitably, that was going to come up, right? I mean, money is uh, obviously the, one of the idols that we all talk about. Money, money, money. It's a very powerful thing, obviously. Um, I heard one comedian say that, um, he said, uh, you know, it's been said money can't buy happiness, but he said, have you ever seen a depressed person on a wave runner? And I thought, you know what, that is so true, you know? But we are influenced like that, right? I mean, we are definitely influenced like that. We live in a world to where we think if we would just have enough money, we could make things right. If we had enough money, we could, we could uh, you know, take care of this or take care of that. Money is a very powerful thing. And we like to say things like money talks, right? Or, you know, like if in our justice system, not saying that it's corrupt and all that stuff, but if you get into a, uh, a particular situation, if you have enough money to hire certain lawyers or a team of lawyers or whatever, uh, it can make things go a little bit different, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty evident. And money gets other people's attention. Uh, it romances us for our love. It's never uh, satisfied. It wants immediate gratification. It really wants to be a part of your life. And in many cases, it will take our lives. For instance, uh, and this is from the book uh, Counterfeit Gods, Timothy Keller talks about uh, at, the, at the onset of the downturn of our economy, what, no, in like 08, 09, something like that, the god of money claimed, literally claimed lives. For instance, uh, during this re- the most recent recession, the chief financial officer for Freddie Mac, who was at the center of the housing crisis, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of a major U.S. real estate firm sat down in the seat of his red Jaguar and shot himself in the head. A French money manager who lost over $1 billion in Bernie Madoff's scheme slit his wrists while sitting at his desk on Madison, in Madison, or on Madison Avenue. A multi-billionaire in Germany who lost fortune in his Volkswagen stock threw himself under a train. And then a, recent, a research supervisor for the Bears, Stearns, who lost his job when the company went under, leaped from the 29th floor of his office building. Idolatry claims lives. In this particular situation, we're talking about money, and money claimed uh, claimed the lives of some of its victims. It has tremendous power. It can have tremendous power over our lives. And today I want to share a couple things with you, because in these tragic cases, each one of these demonstrates something, and that is this. It demonstrates the ultimate, that what becomes the ultimate thing in our lives, whatever it may be, the ultimate thing in your life, when that thing stops delivering, you put so much faith and hope into that, when that thing starts stops delivering on its promises, that's when life is no longer worth living, right? You know, maybe the question we should ask ourselves is this. Right now, if you would leave this service and someone came up to you and said, hey, I hate to tell you this, but you have just lost everything. Now, some of you are saying, well, pff, that ain't much, you know. Some of us would say, whoa, you know, that, I don't, I'm what to think about that now. Some of us, it might literally cripple. Some of us might say, I don't know how my life's going to continue on. Some of us may have put so much faith or continue to put so much uh, trust in, 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 in money and things like that, that, that if we heard news like that, it's like, I don't know how I'm going to continue to live. I mean, literally. You may be sitting here this morning, and that's, that's where money has become in your life. That's how far uh, up the scale it's come into your life. And you may say, there may be some of you in here saying, you know what? Uh, you have to have a lot of money for it to become an idol. And I would say, I would ask the question, do you? I mean, is that really, you know, is that really? Because essentially what we're talking about here is not quantity. Quantity is not a prerequisite to make something an idol. It's the desire. And today that's what we want to talk to you about is the desire and 
And money is, is just the thing we're going to kind of look at in the story, but it's the desire that's deep, deep, deep rooted down inside of you. Money may, it may, it may express itself out in money, but it may be like what we talked about last week about the desire for uh, the appraisal of man or the, you know, the, the praise of man or the approval of man or whatever it may be. It could be something good. It doesn't necessarily have to be something wrong or evil or anything like that. It's whenever we take something and put it in a position, where, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, where, where we give it God-like attributes. And when we start putting something in the place, in, in God's place, where we're start, starting to make it have God-like attributes, mean, meaning that we look at it and we're saying, okay, if I can just get this, if I can make this reality happen within my life, I know that my life will begin to really take on form. I know that's when my self-esteem will come back. My worth will come back, or whatever it is. I mean, you name it, whatever it is. You start looking at something that only, uh, you, you start looking at something and, and thinking that it can give you what only God can give you. That's when you know you have an idol within your life. So it may be money, it may be control, it may be success, it may be your abilities, it may be knowledge, it may be the love that you have for your family, it may be, I mean, you name it. Anything can become an idol when you look to that thing and you're looking for it to give something back to you that only God can give back to you. And so what I want to talk to you about today is money, but I also want to make sure that we're very crystal clear on the fact that we're really talking about the desire deep, deep rooted down with inside of us because that is the one that, that, can, be, that can be very nerving uh, to think about because it's in there. And so, again, if I can draw our attention back to our working definition that we've been using, it's this. An idol is something that captivates your time, it captivates your attention and imagination more than God does. Anything, your child, your spouse, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, anything can be in that slot if it captivates your time more than God does, if it captivates your attention, your imagination more than God does. So the question really we want to look at is this. So how do we protect ourselves against this insidious idol that lurks in the shadows of our hearts and blinds us uh, to, th- to its hold on us and makes us bow down to it? If you would turn with me, I want to look at a passage of Scripture, a story found in uh, Luke chapter one, or 19, verses 1 through 10. Grab a Bible out of the back of the pew if you didn't bring yours, but um, follow along with me to a story of an individual that had a lot of money, and this is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Now, as we take a look at this story, if you've been in church for a long time, especially as a kid, you learn this pithy little song about this individual, okay, that really makes this guy, it would hurt, okay? I think in eternity, if we ever have the opportunity, this guy's going to come, and he's going to come knock on a lot of people's doors and say, you sang about me in this song, and I didn't like it, okay? And, and, and the guy's name is, how do you pronounce it, Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. All three services. I just want to applaud you. Not that there's only one way of pronouncing it, but they all agreed, so I don't And I, too, pronounce it Zacchaeus, right? Okay, I wouldn't tell you otherwise, but anyhow. Um, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, Jesus entered Jericho. I'm reading from the message, I believe. Jesus entered uh, Jericho and made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he became very rich. He tried to get a, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was sh- too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by, or pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. 
Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Wow. Have we heard that before? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, I want to do something a little bit different, I think, than than we kind of do. I want to spend some time talking about the context in which we read our text, okay? Um, number uh, Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. That was, in a, if we would back up a chapter in chapter 18, we, we are reminded that Jericho was not Jesus' destination. That's not really where they were heading. They were heading to Jerusalem. And they were the um, Jesus even told his disciples, I've got to go to Jerusalem. His, he was becoming fixed on, uh, that's where he had to go, because that's where the, his death was going to take place. That was his mission in life, is to, to be at Jerusalem. And, and he was going to be killed and raised up and, and then uh, uh, lowered in the ground and raised from the dead in three days. And so uh, the disciples didn't understand this. The one thing they did understand was that as they were going to Jerusalem, it was around the time of the Passover, which was a a very holy religious ceremony for for the Jews at this time, which meant thousands of people would be coming back to Jerusalem to participate in this ceremony. And it's important to see this uh, text in the larger context as we look at this, because Jesus was going to Jerusalem ultimately to die for your sins and my sins. Okay, now if we were going to look at a map, we would see that they were in Galilee at the time, and they were traveling down to Jericho. Now, in between Galilee and Jericho, there wasn't a straight, sh- or it was a straight shot. But in, be- or, I'm backing up here, between Galilee and Jerusalem, that makes sense, doesn't it? He was going to Jerusalem. Between Galilee and Jerusalem, there was a town called Samaria. Now, Samaria. Uh, it, it would have been a direct shot just to shoot right down to Jerusalem, but he would have to have gone through Samaria. And the Bible tells us that the Samaritans refused him, which means, uh, in, 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 in a broader scope here, the Samaritans hated the Jews. And it goes back to the time where Israel was once a nation, and Jesus sent, so they were uh, getting involved in idol worship, and Jesus, or, uh, God sent some prophets to uh, the nation. He said, listen, you need to get this taken care of, because if not, I'm going to... And he laid out the destruction that was going to happen. Uh, the story tells us that, uh, as we read the Bible, that they didn't listen, and so the nation of Israel gets conquered by some other nations. It gets divided. Uh, ten tribes, remember the nation of Israel was uh, made up of 12 tribes. Ten of those tribes went to the north. Uh, two of those tribes went to the south. And so in the north, uh, Assyria came in and conquered, uh, came in in three different waves, taking people out. One of the first waves they came in, they took out uh, like the royalty. And we read that Daniel, remember Daniel? Uh, he was one of the guys that went out in the first wave. And so anyhow, uh, essentially what happened was they would come in, take these, take these Jews out of Israel. They would intermingle and marry with them and stuff like that and really mess up the race. That was the whole design of it. And so um, essentially, to make a long story short, uh, the Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans because, I don't know how else to word this, this doesn't sound politically correct or anything like that, but they were half-breeds. That's how the Jews looked at them. They weren't... They weren't 100% Jewish, they weren't 100% anything, they were just what they would call half, and so they hated each other. Therefore, if you remember the whole story of Jesus talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, two huge taboos that Jesus did when he talked to a woman and a Samaritan. 
And it was, uh, in that time, it was just absolutely a taboo. So anyhow, he couldn't go through Samaria, which would have been a straight shot, so he's diverted around through Jericho. This is all, this isn't, I don't believe in coincidences, guys. This is all part of a big picture, part of a big uh, thing unfolding and taking place. Now, in Jericho, we read and understand that it's, it's the oldest inhabited city in the world. Jericho had been the private estate of Alexander the Great at one time and would later become a gift from Caesar Augustus to Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was an individual who built a lot of aqueducts and things like that, a fortress, a winter palace with large swimming pools, and a hippodrome theater in Jericho. And Jericho was situated on the Jordan River and therefore boasted bountiful agriculture, agricultural, agriculture and lush landscapes, which means there was a lot of money, a lot of money, okay? And so here is where we find our story. And as you can imagine, there was lots of money to be made there, especially if you were a tax collector. Now we're putting the puzzle together, aren't we? Jesus enters the city and he was introduced to Zacchaeus. And we're told that Zacchaeus was a... Yes. What is it with a wee little man? Seriously. Of all the things we could have put in there, we could have said he was a tax collector, you know. But no, he was a wee little man. I like it though. He was not only a wee little man, but he was a... It, the, the, the Bible teaches us he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector, Brian Knopfsinger. He wasn't just one of you. This, this gives credibility to your profession, right? <laughs> You're going to be sweating through this whole service, all right? So he, 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 was, he wasn't just a tax collector, but he oversaw, he was a chief tax collector, which meant he must have oversaw a bigger operation. Now, in that particular day, the Romans uh, ruled over, over the Jews, and what happened was the Romans taxed the Jews. And they would take people like Brian, who's one of us, and make him tax his fellow man. Now, people who did that were really hated, obviously, right? And we all know, the Scripture tells us that what they would do, one way to get more money is they would extort people for more taxes. So they wouldn't just um, charge them for what they owe, but they would, they would pad that number and things like that. So they would make themselves rich. Everybody knew it. Consequently, then everybody hated tax collectors that were that crossed over. If you would, if you would say, now on this particular day, we're told that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, and we don't know why he was seeking to see him. But maybe as we look at the bigger picture, we kind of see a couple of things here. Number one, in verse thirty-five, it says, "On the outside of Jer- on the outside of Jericho, Jesus gave sight to a beggar, um, who Mark tells us is Bartimaeus in the Gospel of Mark." Now. As you can imagine, let's say this guy, Bartimaeus, uh, set, a, set out in the same spot day in, day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, begging. He was blind. He was a beggar. He was probably known. Uh, and I would imagine maybe Zacchaeus walked by this guy thousands of times. They knew who he was. Well, one day, Jesus comes with this Jesus that everybody's talking about who gives, who gives sight to people, who makes people walk, who heals people, who um, teaches with this incredible authority. This guy, this guy by the name of Jesus surfaces again, and, and, and we hear that he healed this Bartimaeus guy. So maybe Zacchaeus is like, i got to find out who this Jesus is, as like thousands of people did. They would follow and just watch Jesus and, and, and kind of watch where he was at. So maybe that's why Zacchaeus was, was uh, trying to check out to see who Jesus was. So Zacchaeus had to see him. Now, for you guys that are putting down Zacchaeus, uh, verse 3 tells us that he was 
Oh, okay. Now we're, now we're making it nice, right? He was small. I heard he was a wee little man a minute ago, but now he's small in stature, right? So he had, he had an issue. He couldn't really, you know, see. So, he, you know, the Scripture tells us that he climbs up this tree to kind of to get a better look. By the way, guys, we're not talking about an individual here that's invited to the block parties or dinner parties and stuff like that. We're talking about someone who's really ostracized, okay? So he's even just making a bigger spectacle of himself is what he's doing. And so he climbs this tree, and... And as we read, here's what happens. Jesus comes to a place where he looks up and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus. And in that moment, we realize something. We realize, just from re- reading this, that although Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, more importantly, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. See, guys, we serve a God who seeks us. And I don't know about you, but in my life, That is something that I really hang on to. Because there's times in my life where Gail doesn't deserve the unconditional love of God. But yet, there's this God that's constantly pursuing me, saying that I love you. And I want this relationship with you. Even when you mess up, I absolutely still love you and adore you. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but when we look at the bigger picture here, Jesus was seeking him. And so here we, have, here we have this story unfolding. Jesus finds Zacchaeus. He says, I want to go to your house. Now, again, in this culture, this is huge, absolutely huge. Sharing and receiving hospitality from another person is a sign of friendship and acceptance. And this is why that when we read this story, conversation starts erupting out. Oh, my gosh, can you believe that Jesus is asking Zacchaeus to go to Zacchaeus' house? This is not good, right? No, it's not. This is bad. And we've heard this before. This Jesus who says He's the Son of God is going into these sinners' homes. And so you have this playing out. You know, He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, a notorious sinner. And here you have Zacchaeus in the middle of this. And so he goes into his home, and Zacchaeus stands at one point, and he declares that he is going to give half of his possessions to the poor, and furthermore, anybody that he's cheated in taking taxes, he is going to give, he's going to give back four times the amount that he took. Now, this declaration is extraordinary on many different levels, but it seems that this is not a statement. One of the one of the things that I think that makes it extraordinary is that it's not a statement that's made in secret with Jesus, but this is a statement that's made so that the whole house can hear and those standing around. Again, we're talking about people that's curious. There, you know, there's people standing around trying to see what's going on, trying to hear and listen in, and and these people are listening in and they're hearing this thing take place. These people who grumbled, and here's the issue, guys. It comes down to this. The God of money and all of its promises of security, all of its false promises of security and power have been replaced by Jesus and His promise of salvation to the point where Jesus stands up and says, salvation has come to this house. Isn't that an awesome story? Now, let's be very clear. Jesus said to everyone, making it clear that this wealthy tax boss, this notorious sinner, had been changed. Let's be very clear. Because Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor and I'm going to pay back uh, people four times that I've cheated, that's not what gave him salvation. That's what made him declare what he declared. Because he received salvation, Zacchaeus was able to stand up and say, 
I've had a change of heart. The way I've been living my life, I've been bowing down to the God of money. I've been cheating people, and therefore I'm going to give half of what I have away to the poor. And furthermore, the people that I've cheated, I am literally going to give back to them four times what I've taken from them. And perhaps today, guys, there's someone sitting here today that hasn't made that exchange yet in their life. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning, and you need to have the same response as Zacchaeus had. It may not be with money. It may be with something else, but the point is this. You're looking to something that's, that's promising false security and power, and Jesus is saying, I want to replace that in your heart. And it's time to make the exchange. The thing we need to remember is this, and this is where, this is where we kind of started off, and I want to bring us back around, that... The surface idolatry is the money itself. It's not the money itself. Or I, No, the surface idolatry is the money itself. But the root of idolatry is the desire that we, that we have, that we believe that idols can fulfill our lives. Does that make sense? I don't know how else to describe this by, by sharing this way. When my wife and I get into some of those conversations, you know what I'm talking about? Wink, wink. She will say... Give me an example in which I'm like, no, 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 no. Because as soon as I give you an example, now the example becomes the issue, right? She needs a lot of prayer. So if you could pray for her, you know. <laughs> I know I know she's wrong. I know. But just bear with her, you know. But, but you know what I'm saying? That's the way we do a lot of times. Give me an example. And so we start talking about Now the examples become the issue. No, that's not what we're talking about. Money here is at the surface. Replace money with anything. Replace it with, replace it with success. Replace it with the, 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 where we trust in our own abilities. Replace it with uh, the, the fear of man. or what I mean, you name it. Whatever it is. What, this is the surface level idolatry that really is the manifestation of this desire deep, deep down inside of us that says, if I can get this, it's going to fulfill something in my life that I'm missing. That's what an idol does. It's a false promise. And the root of it is, is that desire that needs to be rooted out. It's that, it's that deep down thing that says, if I can just attain to this or whatever cost I have to get to this or whatever I do to protect what I've got or whatever it is, that's when you know you've got something very deep down inside of you. Now, here's the other thing too. And this is something that I'm... In Romans, Paul talks about... Romans 1, Paul talks about... Um, about individuals who have rejected him so much that he finally just gave them over, God gave them over uh, to the desires of, her, of their hearts. And this passage has always scared me, along with the one in Jeremiah and some of these others in Psalm, where it talks about that the heart is the root of, of evil. I mean, there's stuff in there. Um, they've always made me nervous because I'm going to tell you something, guys, and I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. There, there's times. Um, where I really pray to God and I thank Him for not giving me the desires of my heart. Because sometimes my desires are not pure. And I thank Him for that. Sometimes they're pure, but they're just misguided. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you where we had a situation where, uh, you know, we, 
we had this debt that we were trying to resolve, and, and, and I would pray about it, and I'm like, God, can't you just send a check in the mail for the exact amount so then I can just go tell people I prayed about it, and oh, oh my gosh, a check came in the mail for that exact amount, and I went and paid, and that would bring you so much glory. And God said, you know, and I shared this with you, God said to me, no, that's not how I'm going to answer this prayer. I'm going to answer your prayer, but I'm going to bless you here. I'm going to bless, 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 and I'll answer this prayer. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it was such a, a multi-layered answer to this prayer here. It just blew me out of the water. God was like, I'm going to give this and this and this and this to you. And I was just, as I said, I was completely blown out of the water. But it makes me go back and thank God to say, God, I thank you that you didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted you to, th- that I wanted you to answer it. Because if you would have, I would have missed out on all of this. And this is where I just have to trust you. And when I pray, and when I don't see things happening, when I pray and, I, and I'm asking you to move, I've got to have the faith and I've got to have the trust that says, God's moving. I may not see it, but God is moving because I'm praying and I'm giving it to God. And so my thing, my, what, what I'm trying to point out here, guys, is sometimes our heart's desire can be a little off. It can be misguided. And we need to be very careful about that and make sure that our motives are pure in that, from that perspective. And there was something that happened to Zacchaeus that needs to happen to all of us. You see, the reason Zacchaeus climbed that tree was to see who Jesus was, right? The reason why Zacchaeus wanted to climb that tree to see Jesus, because he's hearing all these things, he's hearing these things, and it's like, I've got to see who this is. I've got to see this man, Jesus, and what he looks like. So he climbs this tree to see who Jesus is, but he gets something so much more than he expected. Instead of seeing who Jesus is he came to know who Jesus was. That's huge. Some of us in here are casual observers. We're still looking and just checking out Jesus and we're saying, this Jesus guy's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. I hear some stories about him and he's, he's a pretty cool cat, you know? When Jesus is saying, I want you to know who I am. Because what happens when we begin to, just like in Zacchaeus' situation, in, in, in the light of money, in the light, or I should say in the light of Jesus, in Zacchaeus' life, in the light of Jesus, money became just that. It became money. Does that make sense? In the light of eternity, in the scope of eternity, in the light of God, in the light of Jesus, money became just money. Nothing. It's just money. Because of Jesus, it was just money. Now, do we need to live with the understanding that God is the owner of all things? Absolutely. Do we need to be the steward of God's, be the steward for it for God's glory? Absolutely. Must we be generous to the poor and all those things? Absolutely. But in the light of Jesus, money is just money. Fill in the blank with your idol. In the light of Jesus, whatever it is, is just whatever it is. And here's the issue, too. The other thing. Jesus... Um, in the light of Jesus, it became money. And all temptations to lift it up to a place of divinity are gone with Zacchaeus. He realizes this is an idol. It's just money. And Jesus didn't give Zacchaeus a list of ten ways that he could overcome his thirst for money. He didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, there's a group going on in our church that I want you to get it plugged into. And, and, and you, you, can talk about it for, you, know, you can talk about it for a couple of years and kind of you know, process and get, get through it and that kind of stuff. You know, he didn't say that. He didn't say, here's a list, here's something to work through. He didn't say, just be content or, you know, with what you got and all that stuff. He didn't say, hey, just try harder. But what he said was this, or what happened was, Zacchaeus needed a new affection that took the place of the old one. And that was money. 
Jesus replaced the idol of money within Zacchaeus' life. That's huge. That is a huge shift. That is the shift that God is asking you to do within your life today as you, as you may be struggling with maybe the idol of money or whatever idol that's captivated your heart this morning. Jesus is saying, it's time to make the shift. This is captivating too much of your attention. This has captivated you. This is controlling you. And this isn't what I want for your life. You know what the, you know what the beauty of this is? But as humans, we just can't wrap our brains around it at all. That Jesus loves us so much that what we think we can't give up, what we think we're saying, oh dear God, please don't ask me to get rid of that because I don't know how I can live my life without it. Jesus is coming to say, if you will let me have this, I will give you life to the fullest. I, you will experience life like you, would never, like you have never experienced life before. And some of us in here this morning... We have experienced this stale spirituality because we refuse to give this up. And we, we have this counterfeit spirituality, guys, where we're not happy. Because we're fighting something that we were never intended to fight, and that's God himself. The reason why some of you are disgruntled, the reason why some of you are never happy is because you're living in disharmony with God. God never created us to be... It it was never designed this way to begin with. God created a perfect world and a a perfect place. But by giving man a choice, it all got screwed up. But He's giving us that redemption once again. He pursues us. And He's saying, Man, you think that's cool. Wait till I replace this and let me give you a life worth living. Let me give you a life that is what I created you to live for to begin with. Clear from the beginning. That's amazing. The question is, how will we respond to that? How will you respond to that this morning? Now, I don't want to set anybody up for failure. And, and, and this is the way I believe that the Word of God, the way the Word of God teaches us. And I just want to share this as we close. This is from my experience of, of learning the Word of God and also just experiencing God Himself. There are times within my life where God comes in and He says, Gail, you've got something seated right here that I need to root out. And at some point, after a lot of time, God breaks through my thick skull and we finally start working on this. And lo and behold, I start seeing some victory. I start seeing some cool steps. I start seeing some some really cool moments, and God rids this or, or helps me remove this, and it's still that, there's always that temptation to put that back, you know what I'm saying? But, but God, we work on this, and God replaces it, and I'm happy. And then a little while longer, God comes and says, hey, Gail, I got something else I want to share with you. And I'm like, all right, let's work on this one again, you know, or let's work on this, you know. So we start working on that one, and, and same thing happens. And then, and next thing you know, God comes along and He says it again. And I'm like, okay, how many more do we have here, God? You know. But but here's the issue, and this is what I'm trying to tell you. I don't think we're ever going to be in a point where we're never growing. We're on a spiritual journey. You're on a spiritual journey. I believe what the Word of God teaches through the Apostle Paul is this. You're not going to be perfect until we stand before Jesus Christ face to face and Jesus says, here is your new body. Therefore, that means that we, as we live in this fallen world and we're influenced by 
deception and we're being deceived by the enemy himself, I believe that we're going to be facing things on a continuous basis. But God, out of his incredible, magnificent love, says, I love you so much that I will, even in the midst of this, I will help you have life to the fullest. The question becomes, how do we answer that question? Do we agree to that? Do we open up our hearts to God to say, God, take me. God, I'm, you know, do, do, do we become that vulnerable to where we say, God, here is my life. Whatever it is that you want to do within my life, let's, let's work on this. God, that area that you're exposing in my life, I'm, I'm giving you access to it. God, I, I, I want to see some, I, I, I agree with you, and I want to see some victory. You know? So the question becomes down to this, guys, and I, and I pray this every single week, and I say it every single week. I pray and I hope that you become a people, that we, element, we as Element Church become a people. And, and, and I want to say this, I, I'm very proud of us because I believe we have awesome people here. And, but we will become people that open our hearts up to God to say, God, this is, this is about you. This is about you receiving your glory. And I'm going to open up my heart, as, as painful as it may be, I'm going to open up my life, my heart to you. I've had phone calls, emails, and stuff like this when we started this series saying, hey, this is heading... This is hitting. I've had other people say, oh crap. Can I say that? Probably shouldn't say that, should I? But it's hard. You know what I'm saying? It's hard when God comes in your life. And that's what you want to say. Probably a few other things. But you want to, you want to because it hurts, man. When God, I know how it feels. I know how it feels when God comes prying in your life and he starts digging out things that, that's been there for so long and, and, and you're becoming exposed to them and you're like, oh my gosh, and you look at them and it's so ugly looking and it's so, it, it just, it's absolutely ugly, but then you turn and you look at God and you look at him and his love and he's saying, I, don't, I know that's ugly, but I love you so much that I want to work on that. And it just humbles you. Is that the type of person you're going to be? That's the type of person that God wants us to be here at Element. Um, and, and in general, that's His church. That's His church that we would be people like that. So I pray for you guys, and I pray that you would pray for others, and we would just pray for all of us, and, the, and that we would become people that's allowing God to break those idols within our hearts and within our church and becoming the people that God has created us to be. So I'm going to close this with a word of prayer, and I just pray that you would continue to think about these things and open up your hearts. I pray that you would continue to stick it out with us in this series, uh, The Idols of Our Hearts. And like I said before, I don't know where this is going to end. I have an idea, but I'm telling you what, someone was asking me the other day, I said, I don't know. I, I'll know when God says to quit. You know what I mean? It just seems like God kind of unveils this and unveils that and says, go here, go there. And it's really kind of cool. It's kind of scary, but it's kind of cool. And so uh, I pray that you would just continue to open up your hearts and, and be a part of this series. So let's stand and let me... Uh, let me close our time out here uh, together this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your unconditional love. And, and even though we make uh, things, idols within our hearts that, that take the place of you, or we look to other things for false promises and security and those types of things, God, I thank you so much that you're a God that doesn't leave us alone, but you pursue us. And that you seek us, you come after us. And God, I give you praise for that this morning. God, I pray for those in here this morning that, that, you're, that you are speaking to and that you're moving and that you're nudging and that you're trying to expose some of this within their life so that they can become the person that you've created them to be. I pray, God, that they would find that peace, they would find that courage to open up to you and that vulnerability to allow you to come in and literally change the trajectory and the course of their lives. 
God, we love you. We want to just uh, be the church that you've called us to be. Encourage those that need encouraged. Convict those that need convict. God, ultimately, we know that's the work of your Holy Spirit. So we just give him free reign at our church here at Element and ask that you would just minister to us through your most Holy Spirit. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and ask these things. Amen.